Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. The president, who spent the latter half of this week glad-handing with dictators abroad, was unusually plugged in to what was happening on the other side of the aisle. A TV backstage at the G20 in Osaka, Japan, was running the Democratic debates. And this morning, the president took time away from presidenting to weigh in on the seminal moment of the debates when Senator Kamala Harris challenged former Vice President Joe Biden on race. He didn't do well, certainly, uh, and maybe the facts weren't necessarily on his side. I think she was given too much credit for what she did. Wasn't that outstanding? And I think probably he was hit harder than he should have been hit. I thought that he uh, didn't respond great. I wouldn't say it was one. I, this was not Winston Churchill we're dealing with, okay? But but it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I don't think nearly as bad as uh, it they portended it to be. Here's tonight's headline. Raise your hand if you want to beat Donald Trump. The first round of Democratic presidential primary debates was an overload of candidates using their limited time in the spotlight to lob out bold proposals and clunky catchphrases in an attempt to capture voters' attention. But in an effort to outleft each other in the primary, are they setting themselves up for failure in the general? Proposals that were widely agreed upon by the candidates included support for a woman's unfettered access to abortion, free health care for people who live here illegally. Other items that had some support on the debate stage, government-run health care for all, free college tuition, and decriminalizing illegal border crossings. For people who, I don't know, think that there should be some abortion restrictions, who believe we should probably work on increasing access to health care for American citizens, people who might like to keep their private insurance, who don't want to pay other students' college debt, who cross the border legally and pay taxes, are there any Democrats running for those people? People who, I'm guessing, probably constitute a majority? Who stood up on that stage this week and attempted to reach any disaffected Trump voters, moderates, independents. I guess in the Democratic Party, those folks don't matter. They're unimportant. They don't count. Only the far-left progressives who believe government is the cure-all for every problem deserve a presidential candidate's attention and concern. The rest of you, well, you're just wrong. If you think the economy is doing well, you're wrong, according to Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker. All 71% of you. If you think your health insurance works just fine and you'd like to keep it, you're wrong, according to Warren, Bill de Blasio and Bernie Sanders. If you think record unemployment is a good sign of a strong economy, you're wrong. It isn't, according to Kamala Harris. Here's the deal. Telling a majority of voters that they're wrong has to be one of the dumbest strategies I've ever encountered. If this is the message Democrats have for voters... They should all just change their slogans to, I know better than you. If the aim is to beat the president, I'm pretty sure that's a loser idea. 
So is pitching radical, nonsensical, unpopular ideas that please only a slim minority of your own people. In fact, the winner of both debates might just have been Donald Trump. Okay, here to discuss is former special advisor, President Obama, and host of the Van Jones Show, Van Jones. Van, I have five words for you. I don't think What's you- the matter with Kansas? I know you hate that book because it was damaging mm-hmm. to Democrats. Yeah. It's premised on this idea that rubes in square states, right, <laughs> don't know how to vote their economic interests. And if only they listened to Democrats and voted more like Democrats, well, their lives would be so much better. I, I'm hearing tinges of that in these debates. You know, it's interesting. I, I surprisingly, I, I see it differently. Yep. Okay. Um, I actually think that the uh, the party is trying to respond to the social movements that are transforming the Democratic Party. Yep. Um, now, there is there's a danger that we do what we did in 72. 68, Nixon got elected, yeah. and it, it just it freaked Democrats out. And Democrats then wound up electing somebody, McGovern, who I think lost like 143 states. I don't remember how, right. many, <laughs> remember right. how many states McGovern lost. But there lost is, a couple of them twice. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And so there is that danger. You know, Trump gets elected, freaks everybody out. Right. And the party, in reaction to Trump, goes so far left that then we can't, we can't beat him in, in the general, general election. But do you but, think that's happening? I think there's a danger of that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what I do want mm-hmm. to point out is that there is a sentiment in the party that we sure tried hard at different times to reach out, to moderate, to try to, 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 mm. to accommodate other concerns, and it didn't work out. And mm. so now there's a sense of, listen, here's the deal. We have a, a, a base election possibly coming up in 2020. I think there's right. a despair and a resignation and a cynicism that you can move anybody away from Trump. So instead, mm. he's going to have a fired-up base on some crazy... He, Trump's going to be running on crazy ideas of his on his side, yeah. so we don't have to have uh, moderate ideas on our side. We can go full out. And so I think that's What's going on? Well, okay. Look, I, you know. And, and, I, and I actually, I like some of the ideas and I don't like others. I, th- yeah, I, th- okay. I think the most dangerous idea that we have is uh, when uh, Bernie and Elizabeth talk about Medicare for all who don't want it, right? Right. I mean, in other words, I, I was trying to explain this to a friend of mine. It's like, right. li- listen, uh, right now, think about the subway system, right? It's public transportation. It's good. Right now, you can only ride on it, if it in terms of our public health care system if you're very poor or very old. Mm-hmm. So... To say, look, everybody, if you want to, can ride the subway system, that's a good idea. To say everybody has to ride the subway system and nobody can have a car, that's bad. And so when you say Medicare for for everybody, who even the people who don't want it, I think that's very bad. And and so Medicare for all who want it, which is kind of uh, uh, Mayor Pete's idea, that I think makes more sense. Well, and and we're going to talk about Medicare later in the show because it is the number one, healthcare is the number one issue to voters. Yes. And And so I think you're right. We have to get it right. And right now I think think that idea, Medicare for everybody who doesn't want it, is we're beyond our skis on that. Now, decriminalizing the border and health care for um, immigrants no. who come here illegally. Yes. Do you really think those will sound like smart ideas in a general election? I don't think they'll sound like smart ideas to people who don't know two things. Okay. Number one, we're already doing health care for undocumented people in our emergency rooms right, coast right. to coast every day. Yes. <laughs> so, so if you were to say we're now not going to do uh, give uh, uh, undocumented immigrants health care, you actually be, we'd be reversing. But that's what not what doing. they're suggesting. They're uh, suggesting. Yeah, well, well, they're saying let's just make let's do it the right. Let's just since, More, since right. we are doing it anyway, then let's do it above board and smart. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, other people will, but yes. I'm just saying, I'm saying uh, the first thing the Democrats got to say is we're already doing it. We're just doing it dumb. Okay. We want to do it smart. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, uh, the, the conversation which started with Castro uh, right. saying, look, 
uh, we want it to be a civil penalty to cross the border instead of a criminal penalty. That is a, an invitation to Republicans to say that we're for open, open borders. Right. And so you're going to have to figure out how you explain that to ordinary people. Uh, the problem, the reason that it, I think people in our party want to be a civil penalty instead of a criminal offense is because the fact that it's a criminal offense is why we have this massive catastrophe on the, on the border. It's a big part of why. In terms right. of, it, it, so, uh, but from a political point of view, from a policy point of view, I think it's defensible. Politically, it's going to be very tough to defend, but I think that's where the party is. I think a lot of this is going to be tough to uh, yeah. defend. But today, some candidates are speaking at the Rainbow Push Coalition mm -hmm. um, convention. Biden spoke yesterday. Here's how he responded to his debate face-off with Kamala Harris. Listen. 30 seconds to 60 seconds on a campaign debate exchange can't uh, do justice to a lifetime committed to civil rights. I want to be absolutely clear about my record and position on racial justice, including busing. I never, 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 ever opposed voluntary busing. And as a program that Senator Harris participated in, and it made a difference in her life. I've always been in favor of using federal authority to overcome state-initiated segregation. Did he clean this up? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's now being political. Voluntary busing was not the issue. Mm -hmm. The issue was whether the federal government was going to step in places where we had been left to the tender mercies of very, very racially uh, antagonistic uh, school boards for 20, 30 years after Brown. Right. Now, people disagreed about it, but the reality is there was no debate about voluntary busing. The debate was only about whether the federal government could mandate it, and he was on the side that said the federal government can't. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a states' rights candidate um, on the issue, then defend it. He could have defended it. Hmm. He could have said, here's your deal. I was concerned about those same little kids you're concerned about. Mm -hmm. And my concern was if the federal government came in and made it happen, it would make it worse on that, those kids. You, he you, didn't do but that. But he didn't do yeah. that. Yeah. He, at first, he, he basically tries to, to, to lecture Kamala Harris for being a prosecutor. Right. Then he just says, you know, words, ver words, words, nobody knows what he's mm -hmm. talking about. And then he comes mm -hmm. back and tries to play cute about volunteer. I just, I, I want Joe Biden. You do. I want the empathy. Yeah. I want the honesty. I want the integrity of a Joe Biden. And right now, I'm not seeing that, and it makes me sad. Can he recover it, do you think? You never know. You never uh -huh. know. You, know the, you think about the checker speech. Nixon was in the toilet. Checker speech got out of it. Yeah. Barack Obama gave the race speech and got out of it. Yeah. I mean, you can find a moment sometimes mm -hmm. and, and hit reset. You know, Reagan with, with the whole, you know, I'm not going to you know, criticize my opponent's experience. <laughs> yeah. There's always a moment out there for you, but he mm. seems to be, the, the nose of his plane seems to be pointed away from mm. uh, uh, the empathy and the honesty and the confession and the, yeah. and the embrace. Yeah, very defensive. Needs. Very defensive. Yeah. All right. Um, stick around because I want to talk to you some more. When we we come back. Brian Stelter will also join me to talk about the debates themselves. And as I mentioned, health care was the number one issue Democratic voters wanted to see discussed in the debates. They may have come away more confused than informed. There was enormous interest in the first round of Democratic primary debates. Numbers that caught even our own media savant Brian Stelter by surprise. Thursday alone was the most watched Democratic primary debate ever. And that's after people tuned in for night one and saw, among other things, a packed dais where what little information could be gleaned was often interrupted by moderators or one of the other candidates or even technical difficulties. The next debates are around the corner. Set your calendar reminders to join us right here on CNN on July 30th and 31st, live from Detroit. What should everybody 
the candidates, the media, the moderators do differently next time. Joining me is CNN chief media correspondent Brian Stelter and CNN political commentator Van Jones is back. Brian, I wouldn't talk badly about you behind your back. What I said, <laughs> I said because you're here. You did. You underestimated the viewership for these, oh, for these yeah. things. What oh, do you think yeah. really worked on Wednesday and Thursday? I do want to make sure my title on screen now says Savant. <laughs> yes. The first time I've ever been called this, SC. You know, I was talking with executives at NBC before the debates. They were predicting 7 or 8 million viewers. I thought, okay, maybe they're lowballing it, right? Maybe right. they're trying to lower expectations. Yes. I asked the next day, they said, we really thought 9 million. Okay. This thing knocked it out of the park. 15 wow, million viewers yeah. on night one, 18 million viewers on night two. Yeah. I don't think anybody expected this level of television interest this early on. Yes. When we say 18 million, that is a record, as you mentioned, that does not include Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Right. It does not include all those other ways to watch these debates. Yeah. So there is a remarkable amount of interest. The only thing that comes close to this of course, it's four years ago. Uh -huh, you know, that first right. GOP debate with Donald Trump center stage, oh, that's the only thing that ever outrated these Democratic debates. Of course, uh, and then a couple other uh, GOP debates later. Yeah. Trump was the star. He was clearly the star on the stage. Yeah. These debates don't have a single star. Mm. They have a number of people that are jockeying for that title. Right. Uh, but obviously, Democratic primary voters are already very interested in what's going to happen. Well, and Van, Trump figured out early and often that these aren't debates. These are performances. <laughs> yes. um, do you think any candidate of the past two nights mm -hmm. put that to the test? Obviously, Kamala Harris. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she uh, she uh, she had she had a moment that lasted that two hours. Right, <laughs> right, right. A moment right. lasted two hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. She like dominated the entire thing. She did. And. Um, and so, uh, and now people are talking about her. You know, her, her numbers went up. Her, her, uh, I think she raised like two million or something like that yeah, from she did. like six thousand people in like twenty four hours. So, yeah. so she's she's off. I, part of the problem that we have is that when you, it, it, it's a clown car sort of yeah. situation where there's more and more people that, that have to talk in this process. Yeah. But from my point of view, I wasn't surprised at all. The resistance is the star. Right. I mean, mm. the, the, the anti-Trump resistance is the star and, and the resistance right now is broad and wide and weird. And we sh and it showed on television. Well, Brian, um, <laughs> Chuck Todd's getting a mini backlash, mm, a mini yeah. backlash for, for talking too much. And there were also five moderators, which some people are criticizing as just being a little distracting. What are your thoughts? I thought there were too many moderators on stage. NBC was trying to, to feed too many mouths, so uh, to speak, which yeah. is a, a frequent issue in television and not exclusive to NBC. Sure. This happens at lots of networks. Uh, but I do hope that the future networks, you know, CNN, ABC, all the others will be hosting debates hopefully can can keep it to four or three or something like that. You know, <laughs> right. five just felt like a little bit too much. One too many. <laughs> and it's a reminder, we're going to be through a long debate season. There's going to be a lot of debates. You know, there's other chances for others to moderate later. I think that might have been a better strategy. But, you know, it's difficult for NBC. And the DNC has put a lot of rules on this. You know, yes. they want to see diversity on stage, as they should. Right. They also require the, the debates to be live streamed, as they should. You know, they're trying to make sure they reach as many people as possible. Sure. Um, Van, I don't, maybe you speak at MSNBC, but... Um, why were the moderators so obsessed with Mitch McConnell? Was, that guy huh. was like the 11th guy on the stage. I, 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 mm. It was one of the things that I, I think a couple of things uh, were telling. Okay. First of all, most people in America wouldn't know Mitch McConnell exactly from their right. next door they neighbor's cousin. Him. So you're literally talking about somebody that the vast majority of people literally don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. Worse than that. They didn't put the names of these people up most of the time. That's true. That was a complaint so, from some of the campaigns. So, so, yeah. so, so, so literally, you're acting as if 
anybody has heard of any of these people. Right, <laughs> right, except, right. Except for Bernie and, um, uh, and, and Biden, most of these people are completely unknown to the vast majority of Americans. And so you have two hours of television where literally I had friends texting me saying, the scared-looking one, well, I mean, like, literally. <laughs> I said, mm, do you mean Beto? I was like, Who's I'm trying to figure out. The end? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, so I just think we have to remember most people are coming in trying to figure out who are these characters right, in the soap opera, right. who, and, and names would be helpful. Yes. I think names. that's why Marianne Williamson, people were Googling her name, Googling yeah. Kamala Harris. Yeah. Let me defend the Mitch McConnell question, though. Wasn't the idea to focus on the structural issues in American politics well, say that. and how you won't be able to get anything done right. if he is in charge? Wasn't that the point? Yeah, but the, the, the better way to make that point, from my point of view, is to simply say that. Say, listen, hmm. the, the Senate does not let you pass stuff just because you're the president of the United States. And what are you going to do? once, mm. not, yeah. you know, five. <laughs> Seven or eight again, times. And again, yeah. and let me ask it another way, and let me yeah. ask it another One way. Thing mm. I've seen, the other thing I've seen, in, in, at least in the, debate prep, in the de- debate prep around here, is they work so hard to get the question super short. Yeah. And so there's some discipline around getting the question yeah. short that just seemed to not be there with NBC. Oh, I mean, you can say that again, for sure. I think you're subtweeting Chuck Dodd <laughs> a little bit there. But, uh, yeah, it's, and it's tough when you're saying to a candidate, like, in two words, go, but I'm going to use a thousand. Not the best luck. Okay, Brian Van, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on, joining me. Always love having you. And don't miss Reliable Sources tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern. I never do. Now, the president's overseas meeting with dictators. More on how that went in a bit. But first, after a strong performance, Senator Kamala Harris once again had to walk back her position on Medicare for all. It's a hot button issue for voters and the candidates hoping to get their support. I'll tackle that next. Coming off a strong debate night, Senator Kamala Harris bagged her biggest one-day fundraising haul since her campaign launch, $2 million. She's my candidate of the week, but not for that big moment she had with Joe Biden. It's for her positions on Medicare for All. That's positions, plural. When asked on Thursday who would eliminate private insurance for government insurance, Harris raised her hand. However, later, she walked that back, saying she misunderstood the question, thinking she was being asked if she would give up her own private insurance for a government plan. Her spokeswoman tried to clear that up with my colleague, Kate Baldwin. She's been very clear. In fact, there's a whole bill that she has signed on. That is her plan. Um, And frankly, folks can go and read it. Reporters can go and read it. But I think what the political reporters sometimes try to do is make this into a box-checking exercise. I don't think anyone is unclear. I think she's been very clear today as she's been asked about it. She's been very clear when she's on the trail. Hmm. Except she hasn't been clear. This is the second time she has had to clarify her position. Harris's walk back aside, there were three other candidates who said they would abolish private medical insurance. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders and Bill de Blasio. For Warren in particular, this is a new position. She's previously left room for a public option. Could that come back to haunt her? Polls show that health care is the number one issue voters care about. So how the candidates are talking about it really matters. Okay, joining me now to discuss is the former communications director for Ted Cruz, Alice Stewart, and the former White House press secretary for President Clinton, Joe Lockhart. Um, let's start with Kamala Harris. At a CNN town hall in January, she said she favored eliminating all private health insurance. The next day, her campaign walked it back. The same thing happened this week. Joe, are voters right to be confused? 
<clears throat> I, I do think that she needs to, uh, to clean that up, and I think it's a critical issue for Democrats going forward. I think I think uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Bill de Blasio uh, have been consistent in their position that they want to eliminate private insurance. I don't think that's a position that uh, even most Democrats agree with. Um, you know, one of the things about, you see a lot of the coverage about how the Democrats have lurched so far left. If you really look at the 2018 elections, it was it was the moderate Democrats that won the swing That's seats. Right. In fact, in those swing seats, uh, only two Democrats ran Medicare for all ads, and they both lost. Mm-hmm. Well, and Alice, I mean, to Joe's point, I, I don't think this was fatal for Kamala, um, her her inability to really sort of state clearly what her position is. But as a Republican strategist, do you think that the abolishment of private insurance as an idea, is that good for Trump? It's excellent for Trump. Let's let the Democrat nominee get in front of uh, Americans, specifically the 180 million Americans who have private employer-sponsored health care, and say, yeah, not so much. We're going to take that away from you. People that have private health care like their health care, and they want to keep it. So for the Democrats to come and say, we're going to take that all away, that's not going to sit very well. It might work for their very left-leaning policies that they are pushing now, but it's not going to work when they get to the general. And, And the reality is, I happen to uh, agree with Mayor Pete Buttigieg. His philosophy is Medicare for all who want it. If this is what you want, then we will make that available. If you want private health care, then knock yourself out. But I, I think they're going to have a really hard time trying to convince people what they managed to do in 2010. If you like your health care, you can keep your health care. That didn't work then, and it's not going to work this time. Um, Joe, Elizabeth Warren kind of threw down a a gauntlet in backing Medicare for all, no public option. Previously, she has she has left room for a public option. Um, She doubled down on that today. Take a listen. I am with Bernie on Medicare for all. And I'll tell you why, because I've spent a big chunk of my life studying why people go broke. Mm. And a big part of this is about health care bills. And it's not just health care bills for people who don't have insurance. It's health care bills for people who do have insurance. So do you think, Joe, that like Bernie Sanders pushed her in this in this direction? And do you think this could bite her if she becomes the nominee? Well, I, I mean, I do think there's a little bit of a sub-campaign going on between uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, mm. and she's trying to knock him out right now. He, he, he did not have a great performance. She, was, she did really well uh, yeah. presentation-wise and getting her, her points across and, you know, I have a plan and that. Uh, but, you know, the Democrats, um, you know, if they nominate someone who wants to get rid of private insurance, uh, it's, they, they, it, we, we have the possibility of the Democrats giving away a huge advantage for Democrats on health care going forward. Uh, oh, you know, Obamacare uh, uh, is now a popular program. It didn't start out that way, but it is. People have realized that it works for them. There is another yeah. step that has to be taken. And whether it's, you know, Mayor Buttigieg or Kirsten Gillibrand or whoever, some of the Democrats in the middle are talking about making people available to buy into it at lower costs and right. have that program. That's not something, despite Alice being for it, uh, Donald Trump is not for it. Mitch McConnell is not for it. And, and uh, Democrats are going to win on health care as long right. as they don't take it too far. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They're giving away a huge advantage on an issue that they are already they're, they're good on. Um, so that's why it's it, it feels a little hazardous. Um, Alice, though, on the other hand, one thing you can say for Democrats, they're offering plans on health care. Do you think 
that will pressure Republicans to do the same. Well, Essie, I'm old enough to remember when Republicans uh, pushed ideas and plans uh, the last three presidential cycles. Unfortunately, it never came to fruition. They've been talking and talking and talking, but no action and no follow through. Look, I think we would do ourselves a big favor if both sides would get together and discuss plans that would actually work and make them happen. Republicans have been talking about this for quite some time. Unfortunately, it hasn't it hasn't panned out. So everyone can realize as we've pointed out, and you've said throughout this entire show, health care is a critical issue for voters. And yeah. now is the time that both sides can get it right. And that would be beneficial for Republicans and Democrats, but most importantly, for uh, people across this country who desperately need quality, affordable health care. Alice, Joe, stick around. I want to get your thoughts on the biggest kitchen table conversation of the week in a little bit. But first, we're going to take a break from the campaign trail to discuss some global matters like how the president spent his time at the G20 talking about the debates. In the red file tonight, the president is, for a great many of us, in a terrifying place. He's on the world stage. Trump is currently in South Korea for a state State visit after attending the G20 summit in Osaka, Japan, a two-day annual economic conference of world leaders from 19 countries and the EU. And in usual Trump fashion, the summit was a whirlwind of meeting with dictators, deal-making allegedly, and calculated photo ops. The president joked with Russian President Vladimir Putin about not meddling in the U.S. election. Ha ha. He had a breakfast with the Saudi crown, crown prince, MBS, where he said... He brought up the killing of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi and then defended the crown prince against our own intelligence reports implicating him in the murder. And he invited by tweet North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un to meet him at the DMZ for a quick handshake and a hello, because why not? With me now, CNN national security analyst Sam Vinograd. Um, Sam, I think we're all a little numb to this stuff. By now, but we should take this opportunity to remind people that this is not how any of this is supposed to go. How crazy were the last couple of days? Well, foreign travel isn't supposed to be a national security liability, right? I mean, (laughs) President Obama used to travel or meet with foreign leaders. We viewed it as an opportunity to advance U.S. national security. Mm -hmm. At this point, whether it's at the G7, the G20, the NATO meeting, what have you, President Trump's trips aren't just a waste of taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. They create more work for the national security team back home. You take any number of these meetings. Let's start with the Putin meeting. President Trump made very clear that Putin is his paradigm. He wants to emulate President Putin's treatment of journalists. Yes. Joking about Putin's treatment of the media and how he wishes he could treat the the media. He's getting rid of them. Exactly. Exactly. President Putin imprisons journalists. He targets his opposition and he engages in gross human rights abuses. We shouldn't want to have that in common with President Putin. Nor should we joke about it. Um, Let's go through some of the others. The Kim meeting, which Trump announced by tweets, like, I'm going to swing over because it's nearby. <laughs> Hop, skip, and a jump. I'm right? in the neighborhood. What did you make of it? Well, first of all, he's undercutting his own team. His team has been trying to get a meeting and get talks going with Kim Jong-un for weeks. Secretary of State Pompeo said this publicly. And he has a special representative for North Korea, Steve Bagan, who has been trying to work with the North Koreans. He said he didn't know where Kim Jong-un is. Well, 
talk to your intelligence community. Right. Maybe they could help. But the broader question is, why does he really want to shake hands with Kim Jong-un? Mm. The only explanation to SE is that he's desperate. He is desperate to keep J Kim Jong-un engaged in these dipl diplomatic negotiations, which are a highway to nowhere from a denuclearization mm -hmm. perspective. But they do allow President Trump to say things are better than when I started because Kim is not doing nuclear tests and long-range missile tests. Yeah. We should just acknowledge that President Trump's goal is not denuclearization. President Trump's goal is being able to say that he's doing things better right. than his uh, perceived uh, rivals would have done. That is mm. his benchmark for success at this point. Well, I think he also just, I mean, he likes a publicity moment, and he knows that if he <laughs> gets a photo yes. shaking hands with Kim Jong-un on the DMZ, he's got, he's got a moment. Um, less reported was Turkey's decision to purchase Russian missiles after a failed deal with the U.S. Now, Erdogan is saying that Trump pledged no sanctions. Um, is that a big deal? It's a huge deal. The law and order president is willing to let President Erdogan break the law. These sanctions would be triggered they're under something called CASCA, the Counting American Adversaries uh, Through Sanctions Act, which penalizes uh, any country that buys weapons from Russia because of Russia's right. invasion of Crimea and other illicit activities. President Trump, using Erdogan's talking point, said, oh, they were pushed into this by President Obama. Regardless of why Turkey would be uh, purchasing Russian goods, they are breaking U.S. law if they proceed with this weapon purchase. And President Trump is saying he doesn't care. He's going to issue this waiver because it's Obama's fault. Mm. This really opens up a floodgate, Essie. Mm. It probably won't stop with Turkey. Turkey is a NATO ally. There will be NATO repercussions if this purchase goes forward. But India is also mm. looking at buying, buying Russian arms, as is Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very scary. Um, finally, on China, Trump announced, again, tariffs are on hold. What's going on there? Well, the devil's in the details. It appears that there is a trade war truce. Tariffs won't go forward on additional Chinese goods. That's a good, a good thing mm -hmm. for the global economy. The question I have from a national security perspective is what did Trump have to give up uh, to get the Chinese to agree to this truce other than the tariffs? He said something about Huawei and allowing Huawei to purchase yeah. more U.S. products. Just weeks ago, Secretary of State Pompeo threatened to cut off our intelligence partners if they continue to do business with Huawei. Now President Trump is mm. saying, nope, we're going we're gonna to move ahead with some of the Huawei business. Mm. And it really begs the question of whether national security is a focus here or just getting China Deals, to buy more right. of our agricultural goods. Right. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for thanks. breaking all of that down. It's complicated stuff yes. and a lot of moving parts. I appreciate it. Uh, the dynamics of the Democratic primary have shifted after this week. So... For some candidates, it might be time for some self-reflection. Just saying. I'll talk about that next with my panel. Well, it's the conversation everyone's having. Who's got to go? After two nights and 20 candidates talking over each other and trying out their catchphrases, which candidates should maybe think about stepping aside? This week should serve as an obituary from a couple campaigns, starting with Beto O'Rourke. All that momentum from his narrow loss to Ted Cruz is categorically gone after other candidates had an all-too-easy time dressing him down. Take it away, Julian Castro. Uh, Title 18 of the U.S. Code, Title 21, and Title 22 already cover if human trafficking. If we have a known smuggler I think or drug trafficker, we're going to make issue. sure that they're deported. If you did your homework on this issue, you would know that we should repeal this and then there's Senator Kirsten Gillibrand currently polling below 1%. I'm not sure there's a market for her brand of canned idealism. 
I have the most comprehensive approach that experts agree is the most transformative plan to actually take on political corruption, to get money out of politics through publicly funded elections, to have clean elections. If we do that and get money out of politics, we can guarantee health care is a right, not a privilege. We can deal with institutional racism. We can take on income inequality and we can take on the corporate corruption that runs Washington. And if you can correctly identify any of these candidates, well, then they can stay. All right. So should some of these folks quit while they're behind? I'm joined again by Alice Stewart and Joe Lockhart. Uh, So, Joe, who's got to go? Well, I think the reality is a lot of people will have to go because they'll run out of money. Um, uh, But I think, you know, if I look at my list of people who I'd rather not see in the next debate, (laughs) I would I would top it probably with Eric's. I'd probably top it with Eric Swalwell. I mean, he he was an example of someone who um, had, uh, you know, one line zingers ready and just dropped them at all the wrong times, Uh, (laughs) as opposed to Kamala Harris. Believe me, Kamala Harris. Both of her sort of killer lines were practiced over and over again, but she found the right time and she delivered them flawlessly. I think Bill de Blasio can go back to New York if New York will take him. Uh, I'm not (laughs) sure that they, they will. And I don't think there was anything wrong with Marianne Williamson's performance. I just didn't understand any of it. So uh, I believe in love. She believes in love. But I don't know what love has to do with politics. Um, Alice, is there a bigger disappointment than Beto? I mean, all the anticipation, all the press coverage, all the crowd surfing. What happened to him? He had a bad night. Uh, That is quite the understatement, but he had a bad night. And I don't think that it's something he can't recover from. When you're someone like that who Hmm. did so well in Texas, the level of expectation is tremendously high. And I think he had a bad night. If he follows that up with the CNN debate uh, and has another bad night, uh, adios, Beto. I I just think that's that's too much. But I, I have to say I slightly disagree with Joe. Marion Williamson, I don't understand why she's on the stage. For her to say her first goal out of the gate as president would be to call the president of New Zealand, I think that is absurd. <laughs> and let me say this, Joe is right, though. If these candidates have money, I can say in 2008 on the Huckabee campaign, we prayed just to have enough money to keep the lights on at this stage, and we went on to win the Iowa caucus. If these candidates have the money, they meet the threshold, whether it's polling or finance or supporters, if they meet the threshold that the DNC sets, they have every single right to be on that stage and we have to listen to it. So I, well, I think I, it's I, up to the DNC to set the threshold. I will I will reserve judgment for Marianne um, for my next segment. So, <laughs> Joe, uh, these, these debates were an opportunity for a lot of these candidates to have a breakout moment, but a bunch did not. Um, Michael Bennett, Jay Inslee, John Delaney, do they stick around? Do they try to keep this thing alive? Yeah, you know, listen, I think um, it's, it's, it's a different story for all of them. I think for some of these candidates, uh, like, you know, say uh, uh, Hickenlooper, uh, there's some pressure for them to get out of this race and get into a sen- in the Senate race, where right. I think he would be the favorite uh, in, in Colorado. I think others, I mean, I kind of divided into three groups. The debates were very good at showing us who the pretenders were. We've already talked about them. Uh, There were some people in there that had some really good ideas, but really don't have a chance of winning. The governors, you know, Inslee, Hickenlooper. Uh, I thought Michael Bennett had really good ideas. His presentation was a little, 
inconsistent. And then all of the people that we thought were going to be like the t top tier, five or six, you know, some people have Cory Booker in, some people have him out, mm. were exactly the people who performed well enough. So I think, you know, it, it, there's, it's, mm. it, it is a good way, and I think the Democrats learned from the last time uh, how to winnow the field, because as, you know, as Alice remembers from 2016, you know, the, the clown car syndrome that the Democrats are suffering oh, through now lasted way too long for the Republicans. It's not good. All right, well, Alice, Joe, thank you so much for spending time with me tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks, Essie. When we come back, there is one candidate who broke out of the pack this week for all the right reasons. You know who I'm talking about. So we save the best for last. Marianne Williamson introduced herself to millions of Americans this week, and I want more. If you're like me, you watched her Thursday night and asked, where has this been all my life? Here are a couple of her more memorable moments. My first call is to Prime Minister of New Zealand, who said that her goal is to make New Zealand the place where it's the best place in the world for a child to grow up. And I will tell her girlfriend you are so on, because the United States of America is going Thanks. to be the best place in the world for a child to grow up. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and, sir, love will win. Her meteoric rise, I mean that literally, she might have arrived at the debate by meteor, was not unnoticed by everyone. She was the most searched name on Google the night of her debate. She earned more than 30,000 new Twitter followers. And on Friday, she was even attracting new donors, Republicans who want her to be at all the future debates. I'm with you. Here's what some folks said on Twitter. Michael Ian Black said, Marion Williamson for ambassador to Narnia. Luna Malbro said, I don't know if I want Marianne Williamson to be president, but I will move to her commune. And Michael Hobbs, East Coasters, Marianne Williamson, wow, what a kook. West Coasters, a person exactly like her is my medical doctor. Now, don't bother me with unimportant questions. I don't know what Marianne was talking about or what she wants to do as president. That is not the point of Marianne. The point is she will harness love, and that is all you need to know. That's it for me. But you'll want to stay right there because later tonight, the CNN film Apollo 11 takes you inside humanity's greatest feat with newly discovered incredible footage tonight at nine on CNN. And up next, it's CNN's newsroom with Ana Cabrera. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.